uh, he was talking about listening. And he got to this part where he, he mentioned how I love to read and how that has also encouraged him to read. And so we're avid readers now in the family. Um, but uh, Dina last year, he recommended this book to me that has really impacted my life. It's made me a better pastor. It's made me a better shepherd. It's made me uh, a better mentor, a better friend. And because of this book, recently I've found myself so passionate about having conversations with people, about just talking to people and, and getting the opportunity to hear about their diverse situations and their diverse opportunities. And I, I love that, that I get this opportunity to hear people because the more that they start sharing, the more that they start unpacking what's going on and, and being asked questions that maybe they've never thought about before, all of a sudden they're, they're verbalizing thoughts that have been all jungled up in their minds. And now they're making audible the emotions that have been so, 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 so deep and so uh, wild inside of them. And, and as they talk and as they share, things start to get clear and things start to get a little more organized and we start to understand what is false and what is truth. And I love the opportunity to have these conversations. And this week I was talking to a friend um, and he was mentoring me on fundraising and sales. Because I lead the Lisbon Project, a charity that supports migrants and refugees. And my primary job in leading the LP is to get the charity money. And so he was mentoring me. Fundraising is essentially sales. And he's uh, giving me all these kinds of tips. And I'm telling him, Tom, but I hate networking. I, I hate these networking events. I, I really don't like going to them uh, because they're usually like these fancy cocktail hours or these dinners where everybody goes there and everybody's there for something. Everyone's there with an agenda. Everyone wants to sell something. Everyone wants to get something. And so it's a lot of small talk. And, and so I go and I'm there. I'm supposed to get money for the charity. And so that's my mission. That's my agenda. And, and the conversation that I should be having with people, it should be something very simple. It should be, hi, my name is Gabby. And what's your name? And they say their name. And then somehow I find what we have in common. Oh, like uh, something random usually. You ate yellow ice cream last week. I also ate yellow ice cream last week. We are totally bonding over this yellow ice cream. And, and we and somehow make them feel like we're connected. And then I should spend the next phase of this conversation making them feel really good about themselves. Like you are the most amazing person for eating yellow ice cream. You are so cool. You're so generous. You're so amazing. And right when they're feeling so good about themselves I hit them I hit them with the ask of because you're so amazing you should give my charity money and then I walk out of this networking dinner mission accomplished fundraised got money in my pocket that's how the conversation should go if I was doing my job well except usually I fail miserably at these networking things and how the conversation actually turns out is hey my name is Gabby what's your name and then they say their name and where are you from when did you get to Portugal? And I, and I just start asking questions about the person. The next thing I realize, oh, you're, you're in Portugal, but your kids aren't here. That must be really hard for you. And then I realize their kids aren't here because they've recently gotten divorced. Oh man, how are you, how are you dealing with that? 
And then I realized that actually they're going through a difficult phase in their lives and, and actually they're feeling a little lost and they're feeling a little isolated and actually they're here at this networking dinner not because they want to, but because they're trying to find friends or they're trying to find funding for their business that's actually failing and it's causing anxiety and depression. And next thing I know, I've forgotten all about the money I'm supposed to be getting and we're talking about the meaning of life and we're talking about purpose and identity and a God who loves them and a God who is so great and can do all things and so I hate networking dinners because I fail at its primary mission but I love these conversations I love getting to know people and hearing their situations because usually there's this there's this inner excitement in me when I'm talking to people as the conversation progresses hope starts to arise and I start to see people's posture change this conversation that perhaps it started with a problem or, or a difficulty of some kind, something that has been a burden to that person. And it's robbed them of joy and it's made them feel helpless and hopeless. And they've tried everything. Or actually they haven't tried anything because they're so paralyzed with fear and they're so confused. They don't even know what to do. And many of the conversations I have are with people that are Christian. And so they're, they're Christ followers. Like, where is God? I, I've done everything for him. I'm doing everything for him. And where is he? Why isn't he doing anything in my situation? And so what started as a physical circumstance then triggered an emotional burden. And, and then it just tidal waved into a spiritual crisis. And I'm excited on my end of the conversation. Because where it perhaps started that way with a focus on me and how I'm trying to serve God and I've tried to fix the problem and I don't know what else to do. My job as a pastor is to remind people that God is at work. My job as a pastor is to remind people that the God of the Bible is a God who loves to work for us, is a God who loves to serve us. And before you leave the room or block me on Spotify for saying that, <laughs> Let me, let me explain that what I mean by that is we have a God who loves to work on our behalf. John Piper goes to the extent where he says we don't serve God, God serves us. And what we mean is that, that God loves to work on our behalf. He doesn't have needs that we need to meet somehow. We have needs. We need to call upon him. We are helpless. We are hopeless. And we have a God who loves to come to our encounter and work for us. And any service, anything that you even try to do for God is absolutely dependent on God working for you first. The scriptures say in Acts 17, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he is the giver of all things. He is all-powerful. He is self-sufficient. He is all-knowing. He is all-perfect. And then the word says in 2 Chronicles, the eyes of the Lord, this God who is almighty, this God who is perfectly whole, it says the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed. What is God looking for? In other translations, it says his eyes go to and fro looking. What is God looking for? Someone to serve. 
someone to strengthen, someone to edify, someone to show himself strong for. Why? It says in Psalm 50, 15, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. He will serve you and he will be glorified. You see, sometimes we, we get it all wrong. We think that God is magnified by, by getting more workers to work for him. Getting a bigger army. You do this for me and you do that for me. And, and, and the more workers that he recruits, the, the greater God is. But the God of the Bible is magnified by working for his people. By serving his people. God's heart overflows with love and kindness to those in need. And he enjoys dispensing that love because he knows it brings glory to his name. God is never more glorified than when he is saving and giving grace to sinners. You see, God's end goal, from cover to cover, we see it from Genesis to Revelation, God's end goal, and this is really important that we understand this, because if you're a Christian, then your end goal, your purpose, your whole point of being should align with God's end goal. And if it doesn't, then one of you needs to change. And I can tell you now, God's not going to change. <laughs> and so it's important for you to understand that God's end goal, the point of it all, is not for you to be happy, even though he loves to see you happy. The end goal is not for you to get married or for you to be financially stable so that you can invest and buy that house and retire and live happily ever after in the beautiful coast of Lisbon. God's end goal is for his glory to be known and enjoyed among the nations. That's the point of all. God's end goal is for his glory to be known and enjoyed by all nations. That's why Jesus gives the great commission to the disciples and to us. And I preached about this two weeks ago. God, Jesus says, now go and make disciples of all nations. Why? So that his glory may be known and enjoyed. Jesus says, if you see me, you see the Father. And so the purpose and our purpose should be to tell people and show people who Jesus is, that his glory may be known and enjoyed. That's why Paul, in so many of his epistles, and especially in, in Romans, is, he says, I can't wait to go to the nations. I can't wait to tell people. I, I can't wait to go to the Jews, but I can't wait to go to the Gentiles, people of all skin colors and, and all kinds of backgrounds. And I can't wait to, be, to, to tell of God's glory that they may know and enjoy. That's why in Revelations chapter 7, it's the culmination of all things. And John has this vision of a vast crowd. And the word says that this vast crowd is from every tongue and nation and people and language. And they're standing before the throne of Jesus and they're giving him glory. That's the point. In Philippians, Paul writes that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And how does he choose to reveal his glory? By working for us. And I know that maybe that, that phrase is still not sitting well with you. Who's this 21st century preacher arrogantly saying that God works for us? But don't give up on me yet. We have a God who is incredibly unique. He is unlike anything you've ever heard or seen or imagined. 
He is unlike any other. We're going to turn to Isaiah 64, verse 1 through 4 this morning as our main passage. Isaiah is writing in a point in Israel's history where the people of God have drifted away. They're not worshiping him. They're worshiping other, other gods, and they're doing all kinds of pagan rituals, and they've kind of just mixed in with the culture, and they, they, they're far from God. But there's this small group still. There's this remnant. There's this small group of people who are still faithful to God, and we hear their prayer. It says, Oh, that you would burst from the heavens and come down. How the mountains would quake in your presence as fire causes wood to burn and water to boil. If we stop there, there's a sense that God is, is somehow he's far away. He's distant. And so they're praying, God, just come, burst forth. Just, just come and come with your presence. Reveal yourself. Show yourself. And don't come with just this empty presence. Come with your presence that is filled with greatness and power. Just as fire, it burns wood and it, and it boils water. Come with your presence that can transform all things with your mighty presence. And then it says your coming would make the nations tremble. Then your enemies would learn the reason for your fame. And there's a sense that God's enemies have the upper hand and that they're not acknowledging, they're not trembling at his name. They're not understanding the magnitude and the greatness of God. And so he says, just come. They say, come with your presence that everybody may know how amazing, how powerful, how majestic you are. When you came down long ago, you did awesome deeds beyond our highest expectations. And how the mountains quake. The people of God here, they're, they're crying out for God to do something new. And as they do, they're remembering the old and they're saying, do it again. It's how we should pray. We should pray whenever we're asking God to do something. We should remember what he's already done. God, do it again. Come with your presence. And then it says in verse 4, For since the world began, no ear has heard and no eye has seen a God like you who works for those who wait for him. This verse is describing the uniqueness of God. No ear has heard, no, no eye has seen a God like you. There is no one else like you. You're completely different. No eye has seen, no, no ear has heard a God who does this. Who does what? Who works for those who wait on him. The uniqueness of the Christian God is that he's willing to work for those who wait on him. Those who put their trust in him. Those who exalt him and glorify him rather than presuming that what he needs is more workers and here am I, a good candidate. All these other gods, all these other religions, placing a burden on people saying, hey, if you work for me, if you prove yourself to me, then I'll bless you. We read in Isaiah 46, this description of these Babylonian gods and, and how, and God is speaking and he's saying how these idols, they, they need to be carried. They're literally like wooden or golden or different materials of statues and idols and God is saying how they need to be carried and they become a burden to you they become a weight to you and if you go into captivity they go too they can't free you they have no power but then we read in verse 3 listen to me descendants of Jacob all you who remain in Israel I have cared for you since you were born 
Yes, I carried you before you were born. I will be your God throughout your lifetime until your hair is white with age. I made you and I will care for you and I will carry you along and save you. What? Who has seen a God like this? It may sound arrogant to say that God works for me, but it's the exact opposite. You see, I don't, I don't say that with a connotation that I'm some kind of employer and God's looking for a job. And that I tell him what to do and every three months we have a performance review where I give him some feedback of, of whether he's achieving my goals or not. God's not my waiter. He's not my Uber. He doesn't work for me in that way. When the Bible says God works for those who wait on him, it's because those who wait on him realize that they are lost without him. They realize that they are desperate without him. God works for me because I understand and I acknowledge and I humbly realize that I cannot do the work myself. I am weak and therefore I need someone strong. I'm foolish and therefore I need someone wise. And I know that in church we talk about how weak we are and the world doesn't like that speech. No, no, we're resilient and we're talented. And, and you look out in the world and you see the most amazing, intelligent people and, and, and look at church and how amazing he plays the keyboard. And that's talent. Look how great he is. Guys, even on our best day, even the best of all people on their best day fall so short and are so in need, are so desperately in need of someone greater than us. If everything that you need was provided by your work or another person's work, then my preaching would be very different. We come here on Sunday and I'd celebrate you. And I'd celebrate what you've done this week. And I'd celebrate how, how your friends have, have worked out all things to provide for you. And, and, and to meet all of your deepest needs. And we'd sing about people. But the reality is that you did not do the work to be created. You didn't make your own eyes to see, your lungs to breathe, your heart to beat. You didn't create the sun and station it at a perfect distance from the earth so that nature could flourish and we could live. You have had nothing to do with every sun, sunset, sunrise <laughs> that you've woken up to. You've had nothing to do with every sunset that you've gone to sleep with. Even the people in your life, the people that have impacted you and, and left a mark on you, the people that you love, one day, they just showed up. Like maybe, okay, maybe you went to that place and you invested in that relationship and, and, and you went to that university or that church where they were, but, but you weren't behind the scenes perfectly orchestrating how your lives would intersect and how they would leave a mark on you and you would transform their pathway. That was all God. In other words, all the things we need the most and we love the best, we did not do. We didn't make it. Our work is not the key. His work is the key. Our God works for those who wait on him. And we see that the most visible in Jesus Christ. He's talking with his disciples one day and he shares the most shocking truth. Like this is the Messiah. 
This is the king of kings. This is the son of God. And this is what he says. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus didn't come to recruit people to work for him as though he needed anything. Jesus came to do the work that you and I were too helpless to do. He came to save you. He came to forgive you. He came to give you a new name. He came to transform you and renew you and restore you. Jesus came to reveal the heart of a father who loves to serve his children. And if we just dwell on this for a moment, the king of glory, the creator of all things, the one who sustains all things and the power of his hands, he came and he knelt before the disciples. And by doing so, he knelt before us and he said, let me, let me wash you. Let me work for you. Let me serve you. Let me cleanse you. We've sang it here. My sin, it left me with a stain, but Jesus has washed me white as snow. And then Peter says, no, no, you don't, don't wash me. Don't. In other words, he's saying, no, don't serve me. I, I serve you. I work for you. And Jesus says, if you don't let me wash you, you, you don't belong to me. Because I'm the kind of God that serves my people. I'm the kind of king that serves my people. And so in my prayers, I ask, God, work for me today. Work on my behalf. Act on my behalf Subdue my will so that I may love what you love and so that I may trust that you are working, so that I may trust what you are doing. See, a lot of the times, we know what's happening, but we don't really know what's going on. We know what's happening. Like, you could describe what's happening in your life to me, but you don't really know what's going on. Like, it's insane. Somehow you woke up and you're living in Portugal. What happened? <laughs> Like you just, you just got married or, or you, you just changed your job or, or, or someone in your life maybe has been diagnosed out of the blue and you, you didn't expect it or maybe you lost a loved one or maybe you, you're unemployed or maybe you're going through all kinds of difficulties and you could describe to me, you know what's happening, but you don't really know what's going on. But when you wait on God, let me tell you this morning that he is working he's acting on your behalf and he says i promise you that you may not see what i am doing and you may even be tempted to think that i'm not doing anything but i am working i'm orchestrating things for my glory and for your good because that's the kind of god that i am and if you keep looking to me and if you're patient and you if you keep waiting on me and if you keep following me then you will see my work God is the Alpha and the Omega. That's how it describes God in the Word of God. He's the Alpha and the Omega. And so that means that he's at the beginning and he's at the end making decisions about my now. And here I am in my now with my limited understanding and my finite knowledge. And I'm asking God and I'm demanding from God, what are you doing? Why aren't you working? And God is saying he's working all things. Not so that it's fast, but so that it's good so that it's purposeful, so that it glorifies his name. We often don't see the answered prayer until we're standing in the middle of its reality. We don't even know how it happened. 
because God has been working all along. Reuben and I, six months ago, we, we put up this prayer board in our room. And we just put prayers on there of, of people that we love, that we know are going through something. Or sometimes you guys ask us for prayer. And so we'll put your name and we'll, we'll put the prayer request. And it's amazing to see as time goes by, we look at it and we see, whoa, look what God has done. We had no answers. We didn't know what was happening. But those who wait on the Lord know that he's working. And so I get to see just through this prayer board. And sometimes I even just put a check on it and I take that one out and I put another one on there. God is working. Lamentations 3.25 says, The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. And you know what? You can trust the work of God. God can be trusted. I don't know about you, but of all the social media platforms and of all the social network platforms online, the one I like the least is LinkedIn. Because <laughs> LinkedIn is the place where all of a sudden everyone's an expert at everything. Like you've done something once and you're a senior specialist. You've had like some random idea of a business and you wrote it on a napkin at Burger King while you're waiting for your fries. But on LinkedIn, you're a founder and CEO, a business uh, entrepreneur. <laughs> because that's how the world works. That's how the world operates. A lot of talk, little walk, a lot of smoke, no fire. But God, God can be trusted. God is who he says he is. And his work is excellent. His work is competent. See, many times our work is subpar because we're not that motivated. Or we just don't connect with the mission of the organization or the values of the company. Or sometimes our work is not that competent because we don't have the knowledge, we don't have the know-how, we haven't learned yet. Or sometimes we have all the knowledge, we have all the theory, but frankly, we're just not talented. <laughs> we don't have the capacity yet. But God, God is mega motivated about his business called God. <laughs> he is so passionate about his values. He's so passionate about what he stands for. He's so passionate about the people that he's serving. He's so passionate about his mission. He's so passionate about his glory and his name. And he has all the knowledge. And he has all the understanding. And he has all the resources. And he has all the ability and all the capacity. His work is incredibly excellent. And he has this deep and this unfailing love for you. And this is what he says. Remember the things I have done in the past. For I alone am God. I am God and there is none like me. Only I can tell you the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass for I do whatever I wish. God essentially drops the mic there. Like I just, I do whatever I want. Drop the mic. That's the God that we serve. So God works for me. He doesn't need anything I do. He says to call on him on the day of trouble. He doesn't call on me on his day of trouble. He has no trouble. That's why we have the whole book of Psalms filled with cries for help. God, help me, rescue me, deliver me. And then we have all of these songs that say, God, you were so faithful. You rescued me. You delivered me. You came to my aid. You came and you encountered me. He shows us mercy and we glorify him. That's the deal. That's the relationship. 
He shows us mercy. He loves on us. He serves us. He shows us grace. He heals you. He transforms you. He gives you peace. He gives you joy. And we glorify him. We exalt him. We enjoy him. We make his name known because he is so worthy of it. So as I close, just real quick, I want to go through. So how do we wait on him? What does that look like? If God works for those who wait on him, well, how do I do that? Waiting on God means he's the one you go to. It's that simple. Before you try to figure it out, before you try to make a plan, before you, you make some dumb decision because you were in such a hurry that you couldn't go to God and pray to God and, and listen from God, before you talk to everybody else about your problem, go to God. Ask God. Go to him and say, God, help me. I need you. I can't do the work myself. I need you. Show me. That is waiting on God. The word says in Psalm 20, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some trust in their knowledge, some trust in their capacity, some trust in their own wisdom, some trust in their wise friends and counselors and therapists, and some trust in money, and if I can just get more money, and some trust in all these other things. But I, I trust in God. I trust in his power. I trust in his wisdom. I trust that he's working. I trust that his plan is perfect and it's good. And that he does whatever he wishes. And I trust. So you go to God. You wait on God. And then you listen. And Reuben preached a whole message on listening last week. So if you want to know or if you want to hear more and be encouraged of what the word says about listening, listen to the podcast. But many times we go to God and we, we wait on God. We have our whole lives before us, the good, the bad, the ugly. And we go to God and many times God will respond with two answers. It's not that black and white all the time, but God will answer us with two answers. Sometimes God will tell you to be still and watch me work. And other times God will say, move, act, do. Sometimes you just need to rest and wait. Like don't, don't go confront that person. Don't go, don't try to make a compromise here. Don't, don't try to make a change. Don't, don't, don't try to go and make your own justice. In Exodus 14, that was one of the moments where God told the people, just rest, just, just wait, just be still. In Exodus 14, Moses tells the people, be still and God will fight for you. We many times, we hear this answer. If you're real with me, many times we, we went to God, we waited on God, and this was, this was what we felt from God. Be still and I will fight for you. Many times we hear that, but let me just work a little. <laughs> like, can I just add? <laughs> and, we, and so we feel the need. You know, let me just, I know you said be still, but, but I just, I'm just going to have that conversation. I'm just going to try this out. I'm just going to take this step. We can't help ourselves. We just want to work a little bit. Let me do something. Church, don't throw away God's counsel to be still and then expect him to keep working for you. God says, if you do that, you're just going to make everything worse. You're just going to make everything worse. It says clearly, this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. 
in this one moment where he told Israel, just be still and let me fight for you. And he says, only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. And quietness and confidence is your strength, but you would have none of it. You said, no, 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 we will get our help from Egypt. They will give us swift horses for riding into battle. And God says, but the only swiftness you're going to see then is the swiftness of your enemies chasing you. One of them will chase a thousand of you. Five of them will make all of you flee. You're just going to make everything worse. I know you think it's a good idea, but I can see all things. I'm Alpha and Omega, and I know that's not a good idea. And so sometimes you just need to stop. Wait. Be still. Let God fight for you. Other times, you'll wait on God. You'll consult God. You'll ask God for help, and he will tell you to act, move, go, do. Some of you are like, oh, great. Finally, I can stop waiting on God. I got a ton of ideas. (laughs) That's not what it means. God says, go, but remember that you're not alone. Go in my wisdom. Go in my strength. Go in my power. And we read it so many times in the Bible. Joshua 1, Isaiah 41, some examples of God saying, now go and do not be afraid because I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. Many times God called his people to go to war. Get on your horses and go up against the Philistines. Why? Because I'm going to fight through you. See, God says, I can win the battle when you're still and I work and I fight for you. But I can also do the battle when I call David and I give him the courage and I tell him to start swinging his sling. And then I, I guide the rock and I defeat the giant. And we overcome the battle together through David. Sometimes God tells you to wait and sometimes God tells you to act, to be bold, but know that you're not alone and you don't go in your own strength. You go in the strength of the one who's called you and who's commissioned you. If I could have the worship team come up. Church, our God is so unique. The king of glory, he's interested in you. He says that until your head is, is your hairs are white, until you're old. <laughs> says until your old age, I will care for you. Because before you were born, I knew you. And I formed you into being and he is interested in your life. And he loves to serve his children. He loves to meet you. He loves to meet your needs, your deepest needs that some people don't even know about. The hurts, the pains that you have. But not to fulfill your selfish desires as if he's your butler. But so that he will get the glory. So that he'll work all things together for the good of those who love him and that he may be glorified. That other people will see him working in your life and will see how you trust in the name of God. And they will see the amazing provision of God. They will see the miracles in your life. They will see how good your God is because he cares for you. And he meets you and he loves you. One of my favorite verses is in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. The son... Jesus Christ is the radiance of God's glory and he's the exact representation of his being. 
you want to know what God is like, look at the life of Jesus. He spent his life serving. He spent his life having conversations, hearing about people's lives, healing them, transforming them, renewing hope in them. He, he spent his life pointing to himself because if you will see him, you see the Father. No eye has seen, no ear has heard a God who does this, who loves to serve his people. Wait on God. His work is better than yours. His plans are better than yours. His ideas are better than yours. And he loves you. And sometimes he'll tell you to be still. And other times he'll tell you to act. But for you to know, you got to go to him. You got to wait on him. Church, would you stand? And as we worship this morning, we have to come to a place and a positioning of our hearts where we acknowledge that we need him. That needs to happen. You need to acknowledge that you need him. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what's happening, much less what's going on in a lot of your lives. But God does. And I want you to bring it to him as we worship. Not in a selfish attitude of, God, come on, this is what I need, this is what I want. But in a bold step of humility and faith saying, God, I trust you. I want what you want. I want the outcome that you want because I know it's going to glorify you and I know that ultimately it's for my good. I want, I want this church to come before God in radical humility and radical faith to trust God's work. Let's worship church. <laughs>